So, what will be, will be. smooth as that que sera sera so she says que sera sera and we all starts to calm down a bits because hey what will be will be what will be will be simple and true how you doing it's been a while do we still know how to do this are there some things to talk about are there too many things to talk about i think so let me get situated let me get comfortable Actually, you do the same. You get situated. You get comfortable. How many of you would say you come from a dysfunctional family? Most of you, right? Who doesn't? That's what I want to know, honestly. Who doesn't? We all think our dysfunction is so unique. It's not. It's not. We place a lot of self-importance on our own stress. It's just in lockstep with other humans going through the same motions of life. It's crazy, but it's true. That's the one thing I've gotten out of this book I'm reading. The Places That Scare You. A Guide to Fearlessness in Difficult Times. More Buddhism, more Buddhism, more Buddhism as I become a Jew. Boo. Pema Chodron. It's a book by Pema Chodron. Who's Pema? She's actually an American, but raised Catholic, became a Buddhist. A Buddhist nun. And now a Tibetan meditation master. It's a good book. These books read quickly. You read these books when you're stressed out about something, when you're feeling panicky and nervous and upset or sad or angry and all that, and you turn to a Buddhist book, a self-help Buddhist book, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I like that tool. I like that tool. I like that tool also. Remembering the tools? Yeah, no chance. But at least in the moment when you read a good old-fashioned self-help Buddhist book, it feels good. So what's Pema talking about? Pema's basically saying lean into the stress. Learn from it. Love it. Dance with it. The classic, you can't control the weather, it's going to rain, so learn to dance in the rain. You can't control the waves, you can't control the ocean, so learn to surf. And that's basically what she's saying. But there was one thing I want to point out. One thing that resonated deeply, deep into my bones. And that's the fact that I've been meditating, actually half-assed meditating, but at least it's become a practice for 10 years. 2013, I moved back to the Bay Area. Therapist told me about meditation. I was like, all right, I'll try. You mean focus on my breathing? How easy? Who knew it would be the toughest thing in the world? But for 10 years, I've been doing this, and I've noticed I've become more sensitive and filled with anxiety at times. And this book finally addresses that, so I'll just read from the book. It says, a first step to understanding the feel of dread or psychological discomfort might be the sign that old habits are getting liberated. And it's true, as we move closer to a natural open state, this awakening of the warriors, That's what she calls us meditators. Awakening warriors find themselves in a constant state of anxiety, which is the truth. After a while, Pema says, she realized that since the shakiness doesn't go away, 
you got to get to know it a little bit. When the attitude towards fear becomes more welcoming and inquisitive, there's a fundamental shift that occurs. Instead of spending our lives tensing up like we're at the dentist chair, we learn that we can connect with the freshness of the moment and relax. The practice is compassionate inquiry into our moods, our emotions, our thoughts. What does all that mean? It basically goes against your natural instinct to say, I want to stay away from shitty situations. I want to stay away from shitty people. I want to stay away from discomfort and conflict and actually lean into it so hard that you realize that's where the healing comes from. You almost welcome the dysfunction. So how many of you have dysfunctional families and what do you do? Stay away. Do you try to stay away from the toxic people? A lot of people would answer. Yeah, but you can't stay away from the thoughts of dysfunction. So you got to just dance with it, inquiry, get comfortable with it. And the more you actually welcome it instead of run from it, you welcome it instead of run from it. Then I guess that is where the awakening warrior finds a peaceful mind, a calm mind. All right, enough Buddhism for one episode. This is episode 215 and it's been a while and there's a lot of things to get to. A lot. Summer break for parents of young children. I think it's tougher. I think it's tougher than the rest of the school year. Because, yeah, you could put them in summer camps and you could take trips and vacations, but there are the breaks in the action, the lulls where everyone's home together and you're like, shit, we better entertain them. You got to plan a beach trip, a pool trip, a hike. And then you wake up the next day, you got to plan a beach trip, a pool trip, a hike. And soon you're like, we haven't had any time for self-care. These kids are too needy. They're too loud. They're too consuming. Sure, all that, all that. And my daughter's in a phase of life where she likes to scare you and then tickle you. And that's a lot for my nervous system because she really does scare me. I'll just be coming around the corner. Boo! I'm like, oh, shit. And then two minutes later, she's tickling my feet. I'm like, oh, God. And tickling sends the wrong message to people because it looks like you're laughing and smiling, but really you're being slowly tortured. And you have to explain that to a five-year-old. I don't like this. I don't like this with a smile and a joyful chuckle enveloping me. Just laughing my ass off and trying to teach a five-year-old to stop doing something. Tickling. Very, very paradoxical. But also getting scared every 10 minutes. Yeah, you just want to put her back in the summer camp. Why isn't she in camp every week? Let's get her back in the summer camp. And I told her, it's your third year at Marinwood Camp. The first year, Camp Pinecone. You're all shy in your little brown shirts. You're very shy. They're not even really potty trained. I don't know what these counselors are doing with them all day. Then the next year, the green shirts, it's Camp Miwok, and they show up and they're very shy. So I was giving her the speech this year. I said, look, it's now Camp Willow. You head onto that field, and when you meet your counselors, you go in with full confidence. And I was explaining to her, if you just picture the BG song in your head and you start to feel the confidence of that song, Nothing can worry you. There's no shyness. There's no nervousness. Who wrote this song? This song is all confidence. You listen to this song, listen to every instrument, listen to the pace, listen to the rhythm, and I bet you'll either feel weird on the inside, like, oh God, that's a silly little beat, or you'll be like, wait, that is the soundtrack of confidence. That makes you feel good, doesn't it? It just gets right into your soul. Makes you want to walk right up to a camp counselor and say, I'm here, no fear, ready for smear the, can't say it. You know it's a rhyme. They don't play that anymore. They're probably outlawing it. I don't think they're playing Red Rover anymore. I don't think they're really even playing tag where you touch anymore. But they're still having fun. 
There's still bounce houses where skulls are just colliding and kids don't care. I was at a birthday party and they said one at a time on the big jumbo trampoline. I thought, yeah, that's very cautious. I respect that. But maybe we, the parents, care more about the injuries than they do. You know, kids dust themselves off. We get worried about going to the Kaiser ER, but kids just dust themselves off. Let them get hurt. That's how that rant ends. That rant just ends with let them get hurt. That doesn't sound considerate. Oh, but let me give the BGs some credit. Let me get back on track. I was telling my girls, telling Mila, when you hear that Bee Gees song, you go and you meet your counselors with full throttle confidence and there's no tiptoe up to them. So scared to go to summer camp. And it worked. We choreographed a dance. We worked on our runway walk, our model runway walk, where we go down the catwalk together and we hold our hips and then we do some disco moves and it was working. And now this girl owns summer camp, owns it. I see some kids crying. Don't leave me here. Don't leave me. You just play the Bee Gees. That's all that should be played. Just on the loudspeakers. Dee 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 dee. You know when these boys wrote that? When they first busted that in the studio, they must have been like, "Oh shit! Oh shit!" What did we just create? I mean, that's hot. That's still hot. That's always going to be hot. A lot of music had its place in time. That, it's going to be hot forever. Isn't it sad to realize the Beatles are going to be extinct soon? I'm talking about the animal. You thought I was talking about the band. No, I was talking about the band. The Beatles? Teens don't have that shit on their playlists. They don't. I'm not even really listening to the Beatles. You know, I can't be the adult who goes, God, you got to listen to the Beatles if I'm not really listening to the Beatles. Now, can admit it's the greatest, it's the absolute greatest, but am I even listening to it anymore? Not really. I've heard it. I've heard it all. I even heard Malcolm Gladwell say that he OD'd on the Beatles. And now it's like he, he, he doesn't need any more of that. But during Beatlemania, that would have been sacrilegious to say, this music will not connect to young people one day. And it just doesn't. That's music, though, except for the Bee Gees. Everything else will die down, fade out, but not that song. Oh, no. Not that song. And if everything is cyclical, is it? I think so. I think that's all life is, just a bunch of patterns. Things rise, they die down, then they come back. The big comeback, the big comeback. Like horror, horror. When my mom was young, Twilight Zone, and now Black Mirror. And I'm not sure Black Mirror is the classic horror, but it scares the shit out of me. We were displaced for 45 days, staying at my mom's, and we told her about Black Mirror. And we said, we're going to show you a couple of Black Mirror episodes. She thought that she was brave enough to handle it. We poured some Bailey's Irish cream, because that's the tradition. Pour a little Bailey's Irish cream. Get a little sweetness. Get a little buzz going before you blast on the Black Mirror episode with John Hamm. That's a scary one. You know what? I'm talking about White Christmas. Have you seen White Christmas? And John Hamm's amazing in it. But it's also tough to watch. But we started with San Junipero. San Junipero is like the Black Mirror. Is it called Black Mirror? For some reason that didn't sound right. But yeah, the Black Mirror episode, they got the most acclaim, all the accolades. I think it was nominated for some awards. I don't know what award shows, but San Junipero was the big episode that people were talking about. And it's not really scary. And my mom was like, what? Twilight Zone was way scarier. I can handle this. You know, it's just sci-fi. Dystopia. And it's all really the same stuff. I think, I think Black Mirror all boils down to the same stuff, that our consciousness could be captured into other spheres or beings or gadgets and just continue in other forms, right? I don't know. Well, San Junipero is all about 
when you die, you could pay to have your mind go to a different place and you just stay in your own personal heaven, your utopia. So picture your own utopia. Is it on the beach? What foods you would want? What clothes you would want? The weather? Just picture that, the people you would want to be with. Would you, if you could draw up your own heaven, draw it up right now. Just think about it. Would you choose that? This is why San Junipero is interesting because it's actually a dull episode to me, but the conversation afterward, you got to have a conversation after every Black Mirror episode. The conversation is, well, would you want that? Would you do that? Would you be interested in that? And the question is, choose the unknown or a utopia for an eternity? If those are my options, because a lot of people say, look, when you're done, you're done. Lights out. You're just in the ground decomposing. Consciousness, goodbye. Energy, goodbye. Your spirit, goodbye. Some people, your soul, goodbye. Some people are convinced that it's just pure darkness forever. Or if you want to sign up for this, uh, capture your consciousness into some little technological gadget. I'm probably screwing up the plot. But then you just stay within your own personal utopia forever. But the caveat is you don't get to play the what if game what if there really is some other path after life? You'll never know because you already signed up for this consciousness to be captured, your own consciousness to be captured in your own personal heaven in the form of a homo sapien. I think you're still a human. Oh, God. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, really, ask yourself that question right now. If you could go eternity on a path that you've scripted, all the best foods, the best weather, the best people, the best town. Picture it. Where are you? Florence, Italy? Are you in New Orleans? Are you in Hawaii? Are you in San Diego? Are you in San Francisco? Are you in Paris? Where are you? Pick that area. That sounds amazing. Would you sign up for that if it meant you don't get the unknown, even if one of the options in the unknown is, well, nothingness? I don't know. I actually think I would sign up for unknown. I don't want the San Junipero. I think the mystery is now enticing because I think we're all going to get sick of being humans at some point. Humans are probably sick of themselves more than any other species on the planet, right? You don't think dogs get sick of themselves. Don't we all for a moment just get tired of this? You get sick of this. You wake up tired, crust in your eyes. You got to brush your teeth. You got to floss. You got to splash water on your face. You got to try to eat healthy. You got to get kids. to. I mean, look, these are all the things that we do and we do them and we try to like them, but there are many moments throughout a typical human day where it's just like stressful or mundane. And you're like, ah, look what's in the news again. More atrocities, more massacres, more war. I mean, there's a lot of bad news always. I bet humans are sad to realize that perpetual conflict is just part of our existence. Always going to be. There's always going to be bad stuff going on because we humans, if you study history, have always been a part of bad things happening. Always. Have you learned history? Have you learned much of history? Have I learned much of history? Sure. Are people often learning lessons and not recreating the pain and suffering? No. No, right now. It's in the news at all times. You're just seeing soldiers attacking soldiers, trying to take territory, trying to take lands, devaluing other humans, devaluing other humans and looking at your own kind as superior and deserving of more than those other humans. And then here's the weird part. Even if you win, let's say racists out there. Hey, all my racist listeners. Hey, all of you. What if you got your wish? No more minorities. You got your wish. You would turn on each other. You would turn on each other. There'd be so much infighting. There is no win. That's the point. There's no win. 
the pattern of human behavior is to just find others to dislike and hate. And it's sad. I think that's a sad realization. We all like to think education is the key. And maybe a lot of people are peaceful, but there are dictators and aggressive leaders that pop up and represent the masses in a very negative fashion. You could trace it back to tribalism, you know, the competitiveness of we want to win nationalism, jingoism. Give me a bunch of isms. But truly the sad idea is if you know of a certain group that hates another group, what if they got their wish? That's why there have been genocide attempts. There's current genocide attempts in the world right now, and there always will be. That's a heavy thing to know. Genocide, the idea that if we could just remove a certain group of people, then maybe our team would be better and our world would be better. This is the flawed type of thinking that has existed for so long. But there is no win. If you had, let's say, white supremacists, they love, you know, white. White for a white supremacist, that's the right answer. White is right. Let's say you got your wish. Let's actually say they got their wish, just got to erase everything with color. Then are they happy? Do they just dance in the streets? Fuck no, that's a miserable group of people that's going to start turning on redheads. And then they turn on people with blue eyes or left-handed people or people who are pigeon-toed. I saw a motherfucker today. And can we say motherfucker or do we have to say a person? I think sometimes we still say a motherfucker. That's a weird one. That's a weird term, right? If you really break it down. But it could also be a compliment. This motherfucker was so pigeon-toed. I'm doing an AP U.S. history training at Dominican University right now and meeting a lot of friendly, very intelligent history nerds. It's a good training. It's also very nice. Like, good food is being served to us. But I just saw a guy walking right in front of me towards the cafeteria, so pigeon-toed. I mean, one foot's going left, the other foot's going right. I mean, it's an east-west situation. Bop, 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 bop. And I realized, I don't know how a pigeon walks Did we just label it any bird or does a pigeon really walk pigeon toed? And I didn't think it was a bad look either. I was like, that's kind of cool. Like when I was, I think in high school, it was cool to have a gangsta limp. Even if you didn't, people faked gangsta struts, gangsta limps. Oh, the suburbs. Oh, the white kids in the suburbs. Let's have a gangsta limp or a strut. And it doesn't look cool at the time. If you do it and you think you're imitating Snoop, or Dre or Ice Cube or Tupac, you go, oh yeah, that's a lot of bravado, a lot of confidence. You don't need the Bee Gees at that point. You just need a little Tupac. And by the way, the docuseries on Hulu, I'll do a whole podcast on that. The Tupac docuseries is almost too good, but Pigeon Toe didn't look bad on this dude. And I don't even know why I'm talking about Pigeon Toe anymore. I just realized I've never seen a pigeon walk, so I don't know why they labeled it. But what was I talking about before? Damn, I think, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just remember, see, I am sharper than I thought. I had a good night's sleep for once last night, so I'm able to get back to the point. The point was that even if a group that finds themselves to feel supreme and wants to erase another group for a win, it's not a win. There is no win. There's no war with a real win. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I know some wars have resulted in certain groups being freed and liberated, which is good. But really, the end game in a lot of these ugly, violent, chaotic wars is not, then that group was just happy forever, close the book, happily ever after. It's sad they're going to turn on pigeon-toed people. I think they are. Who are they? I don't know. Should I move on? I think I should. There's a lot to get to. The 45 days I was at my mom's house genuinely felt like time warp. Like I just went back in time. Yet I had a family. Like I was still an adult version of myself with a wife and kids, but I was still at my mom's. And we were helping her declutter, so you go through a bunch of stuff. I found my old garbage pail kids and 
baseball cards and pogs and family albums, saving ticket stubs. I saved so many game day souvenirs. I was just going down memory lane hardcore for 45 days. I was like, I almost need to stop going down memory lane. Memory lane is heavy and there's still old school things about the house. Like she has a newspaper subscription in the morning. When you drink coffee, you read the newspaper. I don't do that anymore. I should. It's a great tradition, but I'm reading the newspaper and there's actually the TV guide still printed. Do you remember when we all relied on that in the lifestyle section or in the arts and entertainment section before anything electronic, before our cell phones and computers, you would actually need the newspaper to tell you what's on TV. You'd have the network channels, the cable channels and the premium channels. And you didn't know what was on premium until you looked HBO, Showtime, the movie channel. And as a little boy, I just said, those are channels I don't have, but I still need to know what's going on. With Red Shoot Diaries, I still need to know what's going on with Sherman Oaks and Tales from the Crypt and Russell Simmons' Deaf Comedy Jam. I just need to know what's happening on channels I don't have. And they would actually list the Playboy Channel shows in the newspaper. And of course, it was only from like, what, 7 p.m. to midnight. And you were looking at Nickelodeon, VH1, MTV, Channel 2, Giants Game. You were looking where the news ends. And then is there a nighttime movie? USA, where's wrestling tonight? Where do I find wrestling? And you relied on that. And they still print it. It's now 2023. Who's reading the TV Guide box in the lifestyle section? And they still have all these cartoons that are just still the same cartoons. I realize there are people who aren't advancing like the rest of us. See, a lot of us are caught up in the current of the next app and talking about AI and ChatGPT and listening to podcasts. But there are people who have plateaued. I'm not saying my mom's plateaued, but there are people who just have captured a tradition. I don't know what age you plateau. It almost sounds nice. Otherwise, we're just looking for the next best thing and the next best thing. When do I plateau? When do I just get a porch swing and stop? There will be no more apps. I'm not looking for the next mode of entertainment or communication. I'm not here to embrace another streaming service. I'm going to stop now. When do we say that? I'm going to stop now. Because there are people, probably in their 70s, who do look at the lifestyle section and they go, what's on TV tonight? Well, turn to page D4 and you could see Law & Order's coming up at 9.30 p.m. And that's how you know Law & Order's coming up at 9.30 p.m. And you probably walk to your TV to change the channel. I'm going to plateau at some point. Actually, some people, some of my friends would say, Josh, you have plateaued already. But my wife, she's more techie, and I know my girls, my two daughters are going to keep teaching me things, and that's a nice thing. But yeah, to be 41 and already feel like an old soul and looking forward to plateauing, shit. At this training, at this AP U.S. History training, I'm with teachers from all around the country. There's someone from St. Louis, someone from Miami, folks from the Central Valley, and they seem to know a lot. Not everyone, but some of them seem to know a lot. They've been teaching for so many years and they enjoy these trainings and they bring this knowledge and they contribute just wisdom and insight. And I marvel at this. I go, damn, you know, not imposter syndrome, but to be back as a student, maybe a little imposter syndrome. You know, they, they just access all the doctrines and all the acts and all the speeches, all the leaders and all that. I'm like, wow, it's just readily available. You don't have to Google anything. You got the textbook, just download it in your heads. Kudos. Teach me what you got. But to be back in the student seat, there's an instructor and he's teaching teachers. But now I'm like, oh, this gives me a lot of empathy for the students I'm about to be teaching because there are times where I want to reach for my phone. There are times where I just want to go to the bathroom or get some fresh air. There are times where I just want to stand up and start stretching. And there are times where my eyes roll back in my head because I'm bored as fuck. And that is all happening from an adult teacher standpoint. 
So I got to know that some of these kids in desks, they're not bad. They're not misbehaving. They're not discipline issues. They're just in need of a little variety. They want to get up and go. They've been on the boom, boom, boom path of English, PE, Spanish and math and geometry and history and drama. That's an action packed day, man. These teens, we put them through the gauntlet, don't we? It's good. It's good for teachers to go back and become students for a little bit. You get a little compassion for these teens. Teens that look bored. Don't castigate them. Relate to them. If you can. Won't you now? Won't you? Don't you? So what was I saying? Oh yeah, you wake up in the morning with coffee and a hard copy newspaper and you don't have to read every article. I'm telling you this like you're going to adopt this tradition of getting the old newspaper, the old hard copy. But I ended up reading more articles about politicians I didn't even know about. There's a lot of DeSantis. You know, they play the hits. They go for Marjorie... Taylor Green and Bobert in Colorado. They play the hits. They go for the Trump articles. They know those get the eyeballs and clicks. And I read those. And then I had the realization, who cares? I mean, I guess I care if I'm reading the articles, but who cares so deeply that you attend these rallies with hats and flags and you start screaming and chanting? It's not just the sports mentality. It struck me even worse, like the wrestling mentality. And yes, I found an old postcard from Hulk Hogan to me in 1990. I thought it was individualized, like directly to me, because I signed up for the Hulkamaniac fan club. And Hulk Hogan actually wrote a postcard to my mom's house. And it said, Dear Josh, with your support, I'm getting back in the ring. And I was like, whoa. And then on the front, it's a picture of Hulk lifting weights with his stringy yellow hair in a Speedo with his high boots that I thought was the coolest, the coolest look. Now, if I ever dressed like that, I'd get arrested. Um, speedo high boots. If I go to the grocery store, speedo high boots, stringy hair and tear my tank top off. I'm getting arrested. So the Hulk wasn't teaching me great lessons. And I guess that actual guy, Terry Bollea, what's his name? Terry something. Yeah, he turned out not to be a, a great idol of mine, but he was at one point in wrestling to my eyes before 1990 was real. It was real. These were gods. Coming off the top rope, the body slams, coming down the aisle to just incredible music. What a show, what energy. And I've been to WWF, now called WWE, and it lived up to the hype. If you've ever been live when you're a kid and you still believe, I know there's adults who are into it, but like when you actually believed it, like that's the Hulk winning a fight. Not really, it's scripted. The end was scripted, but I understand the athleticism is something to admire. However, when I read about politics now, it just hits me like wrestling, like people blindly fall. I, I was such a Hulkamaniac, right? I would have gone to a Hulk rally, and if he was talking shit about the Ultimate Warrior or Randy Macho Man Savage, I would have been all about hating them. I hate the Ultimate Warrior because Hulk is guiding me to hate the Ultimate Warrior. And what do we hate about him? Whatever Hulk wants me to hate about him because I'm a Hulkamaniac. And Hulk, oh, Hulk doesn't like her. Hulk does not like Scary Sherry, Sensational Sherry. Then I hate her too. What do we hate about her? Oh, we hate her eyes. Do we hate her makeup? Do we hate the way she dresses? Do we hate where she's from, Hulk? Hulk will, well, I was nine. You know, I was nine, 10 years old. So indoctrination is easy. Just like any level of indoctrination from religion to racism. You get them when they're young and then they're not free thinkers. And then that becomes their operation system they just download it from whatever parents or teachers or society tells them but my parents and teachers and society paled in comparison to the influence of the hulk and now who are the hulk i don't know a lot of these politicians these smooth talking motherfuckers who really aren't impressive 
but they have thousands and thousands and thousands of people who want to follow them and hold up signs and chant their name because they believe that's the leader of the winning team. I like those views. Blind allegiance. Nothing can throw them off. Seriously, it's wrestling. It's a game. It's a show. Pull the wool. Pull back the curtain. Let people see what's really going down. These politicians are spouting off a bunch of shit that they don't even believe. They just know how to manipulate human minds. They don't even buy into this stuff. Oh, really? Are those your views on homosexuality and guns and abortion and immigration? Are those your views, really? Or are those the talking points that, you know, sell out arenas and get some votes so you can fill your narcissistic ego? Now, who am I talking to? A lot of the politicians I'm reading about in the newspaper at my mom's when I drink coffee and read the hard copy. Let me tell you about that. Let me tell you. But I don't buy it. I actually don't buy a lot of people's convictions that they spout, that they promote, that they project. There are so many stories like that. Like Herschel Walker is anti-abortion, but definitely has asked women to get abortions after getting them pregnant. You, know, you could have a classic conservative, religious, right, Republican who's so anti-LGBT, and then their son or daughter is trans or gay, and they're like, you know what? Uh, I'm fine with it. It's my son, it's my daughter, it's my daughter, it's my son, it's my child. You know, once it's, once it's right in front of your face, it's easy to hate things. It's easy to spew epithets about things that just seem like they're on a screen or in other areas of society. But when it's in your house, I bet your honest views for a lot of these politicians are not really being reflected. At least that's my two cents. That's more than two cents though, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe it's senseless. I'm trying to tell you it's two cents. Maybe it's senseless. Maybe I need to blindly follow a politician. I need to pick one. I'll put some names in a hat. I'll take Elizabeth Warren. Warren. She seems tough. She seems to be pretty no-nonsense. No-nonsense. Started watching Key and Peele again. There's a skit. It's not the classic substitute teacher with Keegan-Michael Key. It's Jordan Peele. It's just a quick one. Mr. Nostrand, anybody? No nonsense. He writes his name on a chalkboard and then drops the chalk, rips a fart, the class laughs, and the sub has to go. And that's the whole skit. And it truly was all I needed to have one of the biggest laughs I've had in years. I mean, crying with laughter. Just go find Dr. or Mr. Nostrand. N-O-S-T-R-A-N-D. Jordan Peele goes into a high school classroom, takes off his jacket, puts a briefcase, what's in the briefcase we'll never know, on the desk, and then tells the kids, my name is Mr. Nostrand, but it might as well be no nonsense, and then he drops the chalk, rips a fart, there's a moment of silence when he realizes everyone heard, I have to go, the kids laugh, the skit is over. And that's just a bodily function that's timeless like the BG song, Staying Alive. If you don't laugh at farts, what's up with you? Farts are so funny. Farts are so good. Does that even sound sophomoric or juvenile to say? A good fart? A poorly timed or is it a really well-timed fart? I don't know. But in any show, show, okay, now I'm tired. In any show or movie, or hey, folks, in real life, a good fart is funny. Key and Peele know that. We all know that. All right, I probably meant to get into some other things. 
tonight. I think I did. But I got more AP US training tomorrow. So I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to shut it down in a moment. I also got a trip to Pismo Beach. We're driving down tomorrow night for my wife's sister's ceremony of love. She's getting hitched. Congrats to Shira and Steve. I'm officiating. I'm officiating a beach wetting. Also, happy birthday to Rick. He's turning 53 tomorrow. One of my best friends. I mention Rick a lot on this podcast. Is he even a real person? Did I create a friend? Did I create a fictional character for this podcast? So I'm headed out with uh, Rick on a hike tomorrow. But yeah, Rick, old man Rick has a birthday tomorrow. So happy birthday to Rick, who I've known since I was, I think, eight. And now he lives down the street and we're going to become old men together on porch swings with Arnold Palmer's. That's half lemonade and half iced tea, of course. All right. Before I say farewell, au revoir, que sera, sera, que sera, sera, what'll be, will be, I got jury duty. I went, I went, you know, you try to call the night before, for me, try to get out of it, I'll be honest, some people don't like hearing me say, they go, you're an American, it's your damn duty to serve on a jury, okay, fine, fine, they pick me, they pick me, but I called and they didn't get me off, get me off, they didn't let me off. They didn't whack me up. Wait, what is, what's the term? Um, they basically said you still have to come. So I check in to jury duty. I mean, where, you know, you got to just show up and if they pick you, they pick you, but it was different. There were like 200 people in this room and they tell you, you can't tell anyone what the trial's about. Although they told me, and I can't tell you here on the podcast, but damn, I can say that damn. Okay. I mean, this is a big dog. This is a big dog. This isn't a little infraction or a misdemeanor. This is a big dog. I've already said too much. Text me if you know me and I'll tell you more. No, I can't even do that. I can't even do that. But they said, you'll find out on July 17th if you've been selected. Today, all you're going to do is fill out a 30-page questionnaire. Maybe your views about law enforcement, your views about lawyers, your views about this case, this trial, litigation, your views about... Family members that may have been in hot water, some legal issues in trouble. Have you been in some hot water illegal issues? What are your views on this, this, this? 30 pages, a big questionnaire, big dog. And it was pretty easy. Pretty easy. All right. You just go through it to the best of your abilities. Writing the type of stuff where you're like, oh, they won't want to hear this. I mean, I'm, I'm being honest, but I'm like, how do I get out of this? I, like, I don't want to be a part of a three-week trial during my summer break. Mr. Privilege over here during my summer break. Doesn't everyone get a summer break? Nope. Teachers forget that. Sometimes we think everybody's on that schedule. Nope. I guess other grown-ups work year-round. At least I used to, folks. At least I used to before you start pointing the finger. Oh, but here's what happened. Why would I even bring this up if I can't say anything about the trial? So this guy comes in late. As I'm filling out the questionnaire, he looks like he's out of breath. He's like, hey, hey, uh, sorry I'm late. Uh, I've been called. I, I've been summoned. And you know, the people checking you in for jury duty. Very nice. You know, nice robotic people who just need to see this. And let me see this. And here's your badge. And sit there. And here's your questionnaire. And he was very intense. And they said, okay, what's your name? And he said, Danny. But instead of just saying Danny, he starts to spell it with the as ins. D as in dog. We know how to spell Danny, but he just, and the lady's like, what? You're going to go for this? I'm not making this up. I forget what he did for the D and the A, but when he got to the N, 
He said, N is in Newfoundland or Newfoundland. N is in Newfoundland or Newfoundland. He said, because there's two N's in Danny. And he said that. He said that to the lady. And then he said, Y is in Yo-Yo. And I said, no, no, no way did I just hear this man say, N is in Newfoundland or Newfoundland. N is in Newfoundland or Newfoundland. What the fuck? What the fuck? Just that stayed in my brain for a full day. And then Y is in Yo-Yo. Y is in Yo-Yo. You said Y. Why would she? You're in person. You're not on the phone. D is in dog. A is in adventurous. N is in Newfoundland or Newfoundland. He gave an or with his N. Is he saying like the dog Newfoundland? And who would ever, or the country? Newfoundland. No one's calling it Newfoundland. Danny, you're you're going through life spelling out your name. We got the phonetics and all this stuff. And you're doing the as ins, as ins. Two N's. He's giving you Newfoundland. He's giving you options. And then why is in yo-yo? I looked at this guy and just was like, oh shit, I got to talk about that on the podcast. And that's all I meant to talk about. I know I got into some other stuff, but hey, leave a nice rating or review. Um, my name is Josh. J as in jump, like the Van Halen song. Um, o as in ostrich jerky, which can be eaten. I've had it. It's great. S as in uh, salami. I'm going to bring a lot of that on the road trip because I'm still trying to avoid carbs, but I've convinced myself that salami is healthy enough to just stuff my face with an H. H is in Honduras or Honduras. No, there's only one pronunciation of Newfoundland, right? No one says Newfoundland. Oh, but it makes you realize how unoriginal that was whenever they named that country. Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Danny at jury duty. Who are you, Danny at jury duty? I hope they pick him. That dude. Oh, boy. Ah, boy. Has anyone seen jury duty on Amazon Prime with Ron? How likable was Ron? They duped him. They pranked him. There's a bunch of actors. It wasn't a real trial. He thought it was. He thought he was on a documentary for a real trial. And then in the end, (gasps) jokes on you, Ron. It's the most likable guy on TV in a long time. Most likable guy on TV since Stevie Janowski, Eastbound and Down, and Danny McBride's on this show, Righteous Gemstones, which is way too good. So that's what I'm going to do. I know my wife's in the other room knitting or crocheting, crocheting or knitting and watching Sex in the City, but I'm going to go. I'm just going to say I'm done with the podcast. Can we watch Righteous Gemstones? Because that is the greatest show on right now, isn't it? It's so fucking good. And you're so fucking good. You're so great. You're listening to this? Are you really? My goodness. All right. I'm wishing you a happy uh, stretch of life. I'm wishing you comfort. I'm wishing you lots of panic and anxiety, but lean into it. Lean into it. Dance with it. Okay. Get familiar with it. Be inquisitive. Then you'll heal and then you'll be calm once you embrace all the chaos. All right. That's episode 215. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, your, 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 your attention, please. Your attention, please. Your attention, please. And now the moment we've been waiting for is here.